This is Kevin Evans with the Chapter by Chapter Life class with Crossroads Assembly of God Greenville. And we are currently studying the Gospel of John. And we finished the third chapter last week. So today we are starting chapter four. And the uh, majority of the chapter four is what John calls the second sign. And he relates a, a, a story that we only see in John and not in the other Gospels. And uh, it, it has to do with uh, Christ speaking to a Samaritan woman and the effect that that has. And it, it, there, it's actually kind of loaded with quite a bit of substance to it, which is why John uh, commits so much top part of the chapter and uh, it illustrates what Christ is all about. It illustrates how Christ is open to uh, the Jewish people as well as uh, Gentiles eventually. And, um, and it, it talks about faith and it kind of changes the general Hebrew worldview of things. And so we're going to uh, take this in sections. Uh, I'm going to read a big chunk first, which is verses 1 through 26. And then we'll see how far we get through that before the end of our class today, because we've got about 45 minutes. Okay, that being said, chapter 4, verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So there's all kinds of things in that paragraph. Now, verse 4, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sechar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And in English Western Reckoning, that's 12 noon straight up. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Seems a little angry. Uh, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans, said John in explanation. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water, Jesus said in third person about himself. Uh, verse 11, Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? Or did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go tell your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. 
And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. Uh, what you have said is quite true. Uh, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the father, neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must, meet, must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes... He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Okay, big chunk. Um, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. And we saw that in the previous uh, chapter. So... He's got a growing following, and the Pharisees see him as a threat. And as we saw in the Synoptic Gospels, they immediately organized against him, and they started looking for ways to bring charges of treason or, uh, uh, or uh, blasphemy. blasphemy. Thank you. That was the word I was looking for. I'm having a problem with my vocabulary retrieval today. Or blasphemy. So uh, evidently things were getting a little hot, and this is earlier I guess in Christ's ministry and Christ decides that it's better to move somewhere else or not maybe God said you know I need you over here and he packed up in Judea and went to Cana which is where he was traveling to um, I don't think he was running away from anybody I think it was an opportune time to leave call it a strategic withdrawal I think he was going somewhere else because something else needed to happen. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think Christ who is in tune with the will of God and the will of God said, go north. But also I know there were times when he had to slip through the crowds uh, to keep them from killing him or keep, keep, yeah. keep him or keep from forcing him to become king. He, there, were, there, were time, there were several different times when he had to do that. So it may have just been like you said, a direction God was directing him to get out of here before there's... That is true. And also in the Synoptic Gospels, there are several places where he said uh, he healed someone and then he said, don't tell anyone because he didn't want to attract attention to himself. You know, it was a, this was a sign for the three people that were watching this. This was not to be a big witness and a testimony. He, he controlled, well, he controlled... We don't... Well, Fair. Uh, he controlled his the, the distribution of his ministry. My father made the same argument. We've I've argued with my dad several times over that. He only told him not to do it because he knew they would. Well, no, I don't know. If he I don't know if Jesus had to manipulate people to tell to, no, to witness about him. I think you know? he meant what he said. Don't tell anybody. Right. But like human nature, they told everybody. But yeah, I think the story got out obviously because it got yeah. printed and all. People are going to know. People are going to notice. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to notice. You're right. 
And if you have leprosy and you don't have leprosy now, they're going to notice. People are going to yeah. notice, they'll, you know. Yeah, they'll notice you right away. Okay, so he is in Judah, which is the southern kingdom. He is probably below Jerusalem, south of Jerusalem, the big area. And um, God says, go back to Galilee. Okay, Kenny was nice enough to bring a map because he knows how much I love maps. I don't know exactly where, okay, uh, in, the, in uh, the Minor Prophets, we have a division of old Jerusalem, and you had a line that went right here that no one can see on the internet. It's this line that goes just above Bathar and Galgalus, because I know you all know where that is. And it comes down uh, across the top of Ephraim, which is a big region. It was the area of that tribe above Jerusalem and then to the right. And then everything below uh, that line was Judah, the old kingdom. And everything above that line was Israel, the northern kingdom. And the northern kingdom got drug off by the Babylonians. And most of them were, were never came back. The ten tribes of Israel were basically destroyed in the occupation. Now, when the Babylonians came in, they were looking for slaves. They were looking for anybody that had any kind of labor type value. And they did not bother with people that offered no slave value. So they, they didn't want the nerds. They did not want the nerds. They did not want the mentally handicapped. They did not want the physically handicapped. They did not want the ancient. They did not want anybody under 10. So they left those people. They left the, 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 the lowest level and the most disenfranchised part of Israel's society in the country. And then... They invited in all of these Babylonian peoples and all these other countries that they have already conquered, and they moved them into this area in order to occupy it, and they gave away the land as royal tribute, which is the, what, the kind of the old system, and you find all the generals that have done you well over the years, and you give them this chunk of property that they can then make themselves wealthy with. So all of these foreigners move in, and you've got this really low-level remnant of the Hebrew people who marry into that group. Because anytime you take two populations, regardless of how much they hate each other, the populations mix. They just do, historically. So, what? Ten generations later, we have Samaria. And so Samaria is a mixture of foreign people mixed in with Jewish people, but there's a much higher percentage of foreign than Jewish. So there is an ethnic difference. Now, the Jewish people are, are olive-skinned and always have been. That would be the best description that I grew up with. I apologize if I'm somehow being politically incorrect. Uh, there is a racial difference between uh, the, the, the Judeans and the Sumerians. I don't know exactly what that racial difference is, and I think it probably varies because they were a mixture 
of foreign sources in their background, but they, you could tell a Sumerian when he came to town, he looked different. Well, he's American, okay. Um, I'm afraid that in Europe they can spot the Americans pretty easily too, for various other reasons. <laughs> we have traits, we're loud and obnoxious and um, self-important and uh, things like that. You have to keep your voice down when you travel outside the United States. People stare at you in the restaurant. Actually, what I'm told is that Americans are fine until you get Americans together with other Americans. Then they get loud. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, you're sweet to me. Uh-huh. And then, but then they say, but in America, that's how we get it. That's, that's the common thing. the same issues here. Um, okay, we have all these foreign faiths, all these pagan religions that have come into Samaria, and there is a Jewish population, but their Jewish worship has been colored, for the lack of a better word, by these pagan faiths, and they're taking pagan traditions and incorporating them into their Jewish traditions, and normally, uh, they would go into Jerusalem for all the holy days and, and, you know, and, and for Passover, and they would go to the temple. But they have decided that this temple in, is it Bethar? Uh, this temple in Samaria is just as good. And there are Old Testament references to things that happened there. It's where Jacob was. It, it, they consider it holy because it's, you know, the holy things that happened in their territory. Well, they built this big temple, and that's where they go instead. So they have this, this place. Also, it was the temple in the, uh, during the Minor Prophets during the Old Kingdom before they were uh, uh, taken over by the Babylonians. And uh, it, was a, it, it was a temple that was heavily influenced by pagan religions. And so the Jews see the Sumerians as ethnic, foreign, invading, heretic scum. And the Jews see the Samaritans as unclean. Their very existence is unclean. And a Jew can't touch an unclean thing and stay righteous before God. If you touch an unclean thing, you, you have to purify yourself for 24 hours before you enter the outer courts of the temple. If you, are, if you work in the temple, you can never touch a, a, dead, a dead animal. You know, there's all these things that kind of make you ritualistically unclean. Well, a Samaritan is one of those, an entire people that happens to now be in the middle of the country. So if you are traveling from Judea to Galilee, which is the northern part of, of uh, Israel, you got to walk through Samaria and, get, and run the risk of becoming unclean and, and you know, being near sinful people who are sinful by their very nature of breathing. Or... You go around it, as Bill said. So let's look at this. Let's say we're in Bethlehem, which is just south of Jerusalem. And I want to go, because he went to Cana. Where's Cana? Where's Cana? Cana's right here. It's that yellow dot right there, right? Can you, I, this is, can you see that yellow dot? Okay. Well, here, this is the Jordan River, which is a rather difficult river to cross, I assume. 
and they would have to go straight through Samaria, and there is no way between the river and the ocean that they can avoid Samaria going straight up. Now, this is also mountains, and there are straight paths, and it is the quickest and fastest way to get there. And if you are a wise traveler and on foot, this is the route that you want to take. But Jewish people, because they don't want to touch any Samaritan, are going to cross the Jordan River, which may require a boat, and then you're going to travel uh, up, what is this called? This isn't even Israel. This is Perinia? Perea? Batinia? This is, this is, 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 this is crossing over the border into Mexico and working your way up Mexico and then crossing over the river again in order to get back into Texas. That's, that's like, it's like going from Texas to California via Mexico. It is a strange <laughs> route. Make sense? Makes sense? Okay. So, but there is there is evidently a road that the Jews like to take. Follow, you know, not getting into the foreigners, you know, but following the river all the way past Samaria, and, and they have to go probably at least another twenty miles up past uh, Bethabaria and up to because they can't get it back into the country until they get to Gilboa. Looking at this, the uh, the picture, and so it's actually a much longer route. Uh, weirdly long because Samaria is wide on that side. So, so it's got to go all the way up here. So to get to Cana and to go that route, it would be an arduous journey. Maybe even another day of travel. Um, yeah, probably maybe longer. By foot. But uh, and, and the alternative is to go through unclean land. And the Samaritans and the Judeans have been fussing since the fall of the kingdom, since they came back. And uh, they don't get along. And so the Samaritans insult the Judeans, and the Judeans insult the Samaritans, and insult the Samaritans, and insult the Samaritans. I think it was more of the, the Judeans' problem more than theirs. It's unique now that the Samaritans kind of did the same thing Hitler did, only they didn't kill. Uh, you know, Hitler, he not only killed the Jews, but I don't know if you're aware of this, but he also took out 60% of the deaf people in Germany. Yep. He killed, he killed 60%. Of, he was going to kill them all, but he didn't get to kill them all, but he killed like 60 or 68% of the deaf people because he... The deaf? Yeah, yeah because he, yeah. he considered them not worth, not life. They weren't worth life because they were defective. That's what he called them, defective, and they need to be wiped out. I, I, I thought that was interesting when I found that out because I never knew that. I think the Babylonians were less concerned about the gene pool and more worried about uh, the amount of effort that they could get out I know of him they before took, he died. They took Ezekiel there and they made him a eunuch. I don't know exactly what a eunuch is. I've always wondered. <laughs> I'll explain later. Okay. Yeah. You we'll, don't want we'll, that to happen to you. We'll have the discussion later. <laughs> Uh, so, he went to Galilee, and uh, now he had to go through Samaria. So, so this is John reporting this, and John is saying, you, you know, he didn't go around. He had to go through Samaria. So, he came to a town in Samaria called Sechar. If you look at the map, I just put the map up. Uh, it is just shy of less than halfway between Jerusalem and Cana, where he was going. You know, which is in Galilee. 
Uh, he doesn't say Cana, but he gets there in a minute. Right in the middle. It, it, yeah, it's just, well, I measured it. It's, it's a few miles short of the middle, you know, because I am very precise. So we, we, we're assuming that this is about a day's journey uh, going straight up through Samaria because it's noon and he's tired and they need lunch. So there is a well that is on the road to Galilee, you know, the main highway, I guess, if you want to call it that, going through Samaria. And Jesus is taking a seat because he's been walking all morning and he sends the disciples, whoever's with him, on into town to buy lunch. Yeah. Don't you think he kind of had an idea of what was going to happen? I'm pretty sure he had an idea of what was going to happen next, yeah. But it would, it would not be unusual for the master of a group to send the underlings to go handle the errands. That's a tradition that continues to current American yeah. business. That's just how it works. You know what that's like being yeah. the errand boy. Yeah, I get that. Anyway. Uh, he's there by himself at the well. <clears throat> and this woman shows up. It's noon. Then a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said, give me a drink. And there is the first interesting, strange thing that happened. That's strange. Typical. A man sitting by the water, he tells a woman to drink. <laughs> <laughs> While I respect the, mass, the, 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 the sexist joke, uh, he wouldn't have done that because he's a Jewish rabbi. I know, but it's just funny. And a Jewish rabbi would not have spoken to a Jewish woman in public. A Jewish rabbi would not have spoken to his wife in public because women are, well. Property. Yes. And so... Not only that, but she is an unclean Samaritan heretic uh, foreigner woman that is so far beneath him that, that he doesn't even need to shake her dust off his shoes. He's not going near her if he were a proper rabbi. He would pretend that she did not exist while she drew from that well and then and off he went. But what does Jesus say? Hey, draw me some water. I'm thirsty. She's shocked because she can tell that he's not a Samaritan. She can tell that he's a Jewish rabbi. And here he is talking to her. I'm not sure she's ever been taught directly to by a Jewish rabbi before. she say? The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew. <laughs> no, and I, a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? What's going on? You're not obeying the rules. Right? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans, John said, because he knew that there would be some Gentiles that didn't understand the nuances of this. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. 
did Jesus speak in third person? I guess he did. And she, and she said, what? You were going to say something? He's, or he just spoke to her plain and simple. Was that plain and simple? That was confusing. He's throwing riddles at her. He's he's give her some credit. Gaining her interest. Yeah, but give her some credit. I think she realized that. He's hooking her. He's hooking her. Uh, because if he just said, shut up, give me some water, that would be, you know, we, we, that wouldn't go anywhere. As it is, he says this enigmatic thing about living water, and she's going, that didn't make any sense. Okay, living water has two connotative definitions in Hebrew, and I did not bother to try to pronounce the Hebrew word. Uh, one of them is spring water, like water that is bubbling out of the ground, which is more aerated and probably has a different flavor than water that you're pulling out of the well. And so there was kind of an expression, if it's moving, it's living water. That's kind of their expression for moving water. It is also an Old Testament reference for the presence of God. And that is another implication of the word living water. So this woman is drawing water out of a well that she refers to as being deep, and we haven't gotten to that yet, but there, there have been measures on the actual well because they've identified the well in Samaria. It still exists. It's currently 100 feet deep, and in the past, they think it's been as much as 140 feet deep. What do you got? I said the same thing as you said. Really? You have the same statistic as I looked up? Ask, uh, thought I had some. They mentioned a Christian pilgrim to the early 4th century mentioned a well in his area was about 100 feet deep when the present well was cleaned out in 1935 it was found to be around 130 feet. Okay. No well water. Because silt builds up. Yeah. 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 Uh, so she could have, you know, and what they would do, this wasn't a really wide well, just big enough for a guy to get in it and dig. So this was, imagine digging this stuff. Yeah. Anyway, uh, a very old well that the town has been using for ages. And the way they got the water out is they, they didn't take a wooden bucket because that would tip. What they would do is take a goat skin uh, or a bladder uh, is the part that's not as waterproof or, or more waterproof and they sew it together so it's open at the top with three lines at the top and, and it, was, it would collapse when you let it down the well when it filled with water it would come up like this you know it was just built for, so the weight of the water would open the bucket and that way it was easier to transport and you could just throw this cloth thing on your back you know and, and it's not heavy but it's only heavy when you're hauling the water back wherever you're going. And that's what they would use on a 150-foot rope. This was work. Yeah. And all the women had to do the work. Well, yeah. So... Which is really bad. Couldn't resist. And it was work. Imagine lowering, you know, getting... Okay, getting it down into the well is not the problem, but if you're hauling a, a gallon or of water 
Imagine a bucket of milk on the end of a rope that you've got to pull out of a hole that is 150 feet deep. You know, and then you have to do that six times in a row before you fill your vessel. You then carry it back because you're, you're, you're hauling about five gallons at a time unless it's a really stout woman. We are spoiled today. We are. <laughs> Except for, you so, know, it got a little bit easier in the later days. I know my grandparents' farm had well water, which doesn't really taste that good. But they eventually it depends. Yeah, that was well, that's a different thing. Different thing. But okay. but it but they eventually made it easier than have to dip the water out. They put a pump that you Yeah, yeah, pumps are good. Yeah. Uh, but that's what she's doing and it, it, it's a, it's a matter of labor and if you're really going to bring the water into the house uh, you're looking at an hours worth of work and multiple people using this same well. Evidently it was a very productive well. Uh, now, having said all of that, what time of day do you need all the water vessels filled in order to get through your day with all the kids and all the animals and you got to water the chickens? It's all in the morning. In fact, you might even want to start before daybreak to get it all going because husband's got to get out to the rock quarry or whatever they were doing up in the mountains there. And uh, he needs to have breakfast before he leaves. And so the women need to get on up to that well with their five-gallon vessel and their leather bucket and fill that thing up and then haul it back down in order to get breakfast cooking. Or the night or the night before. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just for the sheer logistics of the day. Now, this woman's here at noon. Now, every commentator I find anywhere in English-speaking Christendom seems to feel that her showing up at noon means that she was a wanton woman because no one wanted to hang around the woman of questionable reputation, and so she was an outcast, and only outcasts show up at the well at noon. I take some exception to that. I yes. Well, I'm going to agree with the first statement because she'd already had five. Husbands. I knew you would. I knew you she would. She already had five husbands, and now she's shacked up with a you man know, that's not her husband. You I know, mean, she does not have that good of a reputation. So, well, uh, and that, that that backs up the partying too late. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <sighs> probably the husband is a lazy man that doesn't work. You guys are hard on this poor ethnic woman no, doing no, trying I mean, to haul some water. Let's hear Kevin's theory. No, I'm, I'm, I'm so hard on him because he's probably so lazy he kept her in. Oh, I see. You know, I see. Let's hear, let's hear your theory. Okay. Defend yourself, sir. All right. Uh, I think there could be any number of reasons why she's gone out to get this particular chore done at noon. Okay. You know, her morning was rather complicated. And so she's there. She's not talking to the Jewish guy. She's not looking for a new customer. You know, you're not seeing that happen. Uh, and she, he asked her for water. And it, okay, so she's there at noon. Uh, later on, at the end of this, she goes into town and she says, I just met a man who told me everything that I've ever done. And the whole town came out to see him. Now, if the crazy lady that's flashing their sign out in front of Walgreen, of Walmart, that we all know because we've seen her there for a month, 
comes running into Walmart saying, God just spoke to me. God just spoke to me. Faith, I assure you, would roll her eyes and go on filling up her shopping cart. This would not be a cause for concern. Okay? I don't think that if she's the wanton woman that we've been making her out to be, that she's going to have that much witness impact when she goes into town. I think she is exactly the right person to run into town with this story and get everybody's attention. This woman is the ancient medieval version of Miss Mixon. If Miss Mixon came running into Walmart saying, I just spoke to God, Faith would look at her and go, what? You know, you know, Mickey's wife. Mickey's wife. Oh, you know, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah. You thought you were talking about some, 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 some kind of movie here. reference or something. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. A movie reference? No, I'm going to give you another reference here. I worked really hard in that illustration. You're just walking right all over it. Do you think, that, do you think okay. that God may have preordained how it was going to work? Maybe God somehow Calvinist. delayed. The I think Calvinist. God kind of knew who to talk to, yeah. No, I mean, what I mean is, don't you, do you think God may have delayed her? Being able to go out and get water, maybe through some circumstances that God worked so that it would, the timing would be exactly. Let's the, put a pin in that. It would move her. Can I yeah, play, maybe. Can I play devil's advocate? Take it. Which you have great, that is great theory, that is uh, plausible. But let me go on the other side where it's plausible about the other way, too. There is, a thing, you've got to put in the role of the Holy Spirit. If the wanton woman, wanton, wanton, the wanton, wanton woman, wanton woman, not wanton. These people, <laughs> I wonder if he did reveal himself to Jesus. Did these people know Jesus or not? But if the wanton woman comes and says, "I've just had a religious experience," does that? If the local drug addict in Greenville shows up to our church and says, "I've had an encounter with God," doesn't that kind of boom factor go a little bit more? No. I disagree. Okay. It depends on how it's presented. If someone walks in here and he is known to be the drug addict of Greenville, and he says, folks, this, just, just recently I just had an encounter with Christ and my life has changed, you need to come hear this. Yes, there might be some people who don't. You're obviously not as cynical as I am. Uh, well, it depends. I, mean, I, think, I think you've got to earn people's trust back. You know? But this is the role of the Holy Spirit we're talking about, too. Uh, fair, fair. But let's see, just a bit. Oh, they converted the town. I know the Messiah, he is good, just a bit. They, uh, you can, I'm looking something here. Uh, it said, I know the Messiah, he is good, just a bit. Meanwhile, the job owner suffered and went into and told and said to the men, I guess the one woman said, Come see a man. They went out and were coming to him. Well, I mean, she was obviously not a woman worried about talking to a man, so. Well, so. But I mean, but I mean, let's go with the factor of the common sense of the situation. The, all the women, prob this was a social thing for them as well to go to the well. Right. It's a social thing. They get there, they do the local gossip, they talk. You know, they talk about what's going on with their kid. My son made all-star baseball. Blah, blah 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 blah. And they like to talk about about the people they didn't like. Men do it too. But I'm not, but I'm, I'm just saying. And then I. I think both is plausible, but uh, you come and, you know, I don't want to be here. I'm, she, 
She probably dated half the half the husbands in the town. Okay, let, let, <laughs> okay. Try, let, try this interpretation on. He says, in fact, you have had five husbands. That does not mean that she's running out on them. She could have been an incredibly uh, she'd be a widow with incredibly poor luck. I mean, she, she may have lost five husbands legitimately. And then she says, the man you are now with is not your husband. Could that be her nephew? Could it be a, cousin, a kinsman redeemer? She's living in somebody else's house. She is not a woman of disrespect. She is a woman of no means. But she also is probably very attractive. One would think so with five husbands. Well, but right here in my study notes, and this is all arguments. And maybe that's why they're paying attention to what she's saying. This is all arguments for silence. Yes. So the Jews held that a word might be divorced twice or at the most three times. Yeah, I read that too. If the Samaritans had the same standard, the woman's life is viewed as being exceedingly immoral to have five husbands and living with someone that's not her husband. You don't say that about your nephew. Yeah. He, he pulled a ringer on her. He, he yeah, said, as a matter of fact, the one you have now is not your husband. And, 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 not, and not such a much a judgmental way that we would do it. He said, look, I know who you are. He said, I know why you're here. here. I, think the, I think the way that the message presented to him, he divine appointment to say, I'm, I'm listening to you. I know your story without you even telling me. Doesn't matter. I got water and you can live forever. Yeah. Jesus meets you where you're at. Okay. I have another theory. Hit me. Okay. She runs into town and says, hey, you need to meet this guy. It may have just been because she told him, he told me my whole life story. Maybe because they are not good Jewish people. You know, they're intermixed. Or whatever. Oh, they want, to, they want to hear the truth, the, the soothsayer. Like, they like the, oh, there's a fortune teller in town. Uh -huh. Ooh, there's a, and maybe the excitement was, let's go see if he can tell my teacher or my past or my whatever. It might not have even been because they wanted to see a religious experience at that point. Which ended up being that, but that doesn't mean that was what initially drew them. I didn't consider that possibility. I think all are yeah, mine has two side notes here. It says one exposure of sin and sin known to God. Explain. Well, he knew her sin. I mean, he knew that these these men she'd lived with ain't her husband and ain't her cousin, and then the five men that she'd had that she'd gone through was, you know, uh, so he knew her sin. But 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 she's coming back to this town, and, and one of the definitions of a prophet we got to remember we consider a prophet to be the future. No. He knew her sin without her telling him. Yeah. So she goes back and says, it's not something she goes, oh, I had this dream. That guy up there, they, she was probably pointing to him. Yeah. That guy right there, you guys know my history. He knew it, and I never met him, and I never told him. And they ooh, what is about this guy? Yeah. And Riley, she also told him he was a Jew. That's and this is a Jew talking to me. Yeah. Which probably made it an even I think bigger just the deal. specialness of the situation to draw through people. And I think the Holy Spirit took that to tell a great story. And don't you think maybe somehow God may have hindered her where she had to be at that well at that same time? He preordained it. Calvinism. Back to those Calvinists. <laughs> I think it's very possible that we can have complete free will and it can also be some pre. I think God is in charge of time. And he knows how it's going to end. And I think we can still do everything that we're going to do independently and still be controlled by God. 
if that makes any kind of sense. I know it seems like those are contradictory statements. I don't believe they are. It goes back to preordained. Depends how you interpret preordained. Yes, you do. Uh, so Christ says, and I'm, gonna, I'm running out of time. Believe me, woman, a time is coming and you will worship the Father neither here in this mountain nor in Jerusalem. So it doesn't matter where we're worshiping, which is the big argument between you and Jews. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. Our salvation is from the Jews. So he's still, you know, supporting the chosen people. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the God in spirit and truth. For they have the kind of worship the Father seeks. Spirit and truth. What does that mean? Universal. Personally, Universal I guess. Universal Father. Yes. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. He repeated that. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. And Jesus says, I am he. And, and then we kind of, there's a whole section where the disciples rejoin and we kind of have, you know, all the following action from this meeting. John puts a whole lot into this. And we will come back to verse 27 next week when we have a little more time. I'm so glad that we've grown to Oh, me too. I feel like I live in Star Trek. Really, I do. There's no, no more. This is not an issue anymore. There's no more hate or prejudice <laughs> or anything like that at all. You know, it's like I was reading last reading in King. I'm signing off now. Bye. I do not believe they said.